0: Or to say you simply flooded the system with money. Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money uh, digitally. And we do that by buying treasury bills or or bonds. Buy loan, sell high, that's my motto. I may just quit my job at the power plant to become a full-time stock market guy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 64 of Pounding the Table. Today is June 16th. The market was once again. That's right. The Dow closed down 740 points today. S&P down 123. And the NASDAQ was tumbling down 453 points. But as we mentioned, the story of the week was the Fed starting to sound a little bit like a broken record. So that's going to be the highlight of what we talk about today we're going to crack open the Bible over the coming weeks. Today, we're going to start with software. Let's head on over to StockTwits for the trending tickers of the week. For those of you who have not checked out StockTwits, it is our favorite place to go every single day to check out the pulse of the markets. Not only does it provide the key highlights that is on everyone's mind of the week, it's great quality banter. They have a great new layout as well. So check it out today, StockTwits.com. Join us on the conversation. So Joey, why don't you kick us off Adobe missed on revenue here. They tanked a little bit down
2: 8% after hours. Yes. So they reported earnings right after the close. So the earnings came in better than expected. Revenue actually came in just above expectations. The problem was with guidance. So they ended up reducing their guidance and it came in, I think, $200 million short of what analysts had expected. And it was down, you know, a little bit more from the original projection. So, I mean, That that's kind of like the cardinal sin in the market right now is adjusting outlook, even though, I mean, you could, you could kind of see this was coming because overall, you know, drop in ad spends, reduced spending across the board as we're in this very tough time that even if Adobe crushed this and maintained their outlook or even raise it, you know, the stock probably did nothing. But, you know, coming into this, it's, it's kind of like the market was ready to sell on anything. So it gave the sellers fuel to do that. So, you know, it's taking a small hit, but not nearly as significant as other companies could be because, you know, this is a wildly profitable enterprise. So you won't see the wild swings like you would in the docu sign. Yeah. Speaking of swings, Roku was down five point three percent
1: today. After hours making some news, they are going to be partnering with Walmart for the first of their kind partnership which will essentially allow you to be watching TV and you can purchase directly from your remote, which is actually very cool. And I, something we've been talking about, I think, for a little bit of where the future is going to go. And we're here, folks. It's pretty exciting. So Uber was down 6% on pretty much no news. Personally, I know an Uber from New York out to Jersey was three times what I typically pay. Carnival Cruises also was down 11%. Uh, and flights. So like travel in general has just been horrible of late. So I don't know if you guys have felt that as well, but the past two trips, I just had a flight canceled right before this podcast. I got to have to figure out with Delta right after this, but it's actually just getting crazy. So I don't know if, if people are predicting that this summer is not going to be like last summer
2: where the big grand reopening, have you guys seen anything overall just on travel in general or, you know, I used to live in Florida. So I'm always looking, you know, how much would it cost to go there if we want to go on another family vacation? And like you said, prices for travel have been surging. And of course, rising fuel costs is gonna make you know, the flights more expensive. But now I'm even seeing, you know the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg came out and he was pushing airline CEOs to talk about reliability with flights because not only are they crazy expensive, but you're seeing this wave of cancellations or delays. And I remember you saying on your last trip that you had a delay. So this is just, it's almost like the new norm that travel is just ultimate crap show. And not only is it a horrible experience, it's now more expensive than ever. That these travel stocks are, are like an Uber, you know, it's a sen- essentially a duopoly along with Lyft, but it's just getting so much more expensive to operate that, you know, this is a space that's very troubled, has so many headwinds. As they see the surge in demand as people are, you know, it, it's the reopening People you want to go out and do things. So it's a weird, it's a very weird mix. But yeah, I can definitely say that From a consumer standpoint, everything seems more expensive these days. I just saw United, they got like 2 million more searches
1: today. And that was because they stopped the vaccine on international flights. And so apparently they're just starting to get a surge of interest right now. And so let's see what happens. I mean, I don't know if that will have an impact. All right. The name of the game this week, of course, the Fed, right? And so I actually wrote my first thread, I think, ever on Twitter about that. And as I kind of was thinking here, right, the Fed did end up raising 75 basis points, right, which was the first time since 1994. And they almost gave themselves the optionality. They said 50 to 75 for the next one here in July. I think we all felt it, though. I know, Joe, you're just talking to me about that, right? Like, I had tweeted out green skies after hours, but as we all learn, I don't think it's time to start buying the Lambos again just yet and because... I think we all felt that it, there was nothing really that drastically yeah. changed overall.
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely you're just seeing some kind of inverse every other day, right? So like you have like a good reaction on the Fed, the next day the market's down over hundred, right? So people, like you can notice too, if you're looking at what's going on, just like at the end of the day, you see stocks, they rally a little too early then they come back down and then they rally into the close and then futures opens down and the gap down like 30, 40 points. And then we just sell off the entire day. So whenever you see a big green close now, people are, are scared to trust the rally because they're most likely sure that the next day it's going to be just giving back all the gains and then some, right? So that's, you know, where I, where I was literally telling you yesterday is that we should definitely record a bit of Friday just to, you know, have more time to see what the market really wants to do post-fed because it's never really always the first move that is the one that decides where the direction is going, especially if we're already trending down.
2: Raising 75 bips is not the most bullish thing ever, especially in a situation where at all. And it's been very confusing with these Fed meetings because, you know, the market was essentially rallying into this meeting and there was really no way that this could be won when I was looking at this because, you know, he said 75 basis points was not on the table. Then everybody knows it's coming, like it has to come. So you get this situation where, okay, it wasn't on the table, but if they go 50, People are going to say it's not enough. If they go 75, they could say, "Well, you said you wouldn't. Now you must be panicking, so you're going to do this, right?" But then you saw the market still take off following the meeting and in listening to his commentary. But I think we've all learned, you know, after these Fed meetings, that initial reaction is never accurate or going to tell you what's going to come down the road. So yeah, that's where we were talking. Let's see just how bad Thursday is going to be. And I think we knew we were going to take a hit and probably give back all the gains. I just didn't think, you know, we give it all away and then some.
3: And, and we break, we break the big level that we've been holding for a while now, just like all right at the same time. So it, it was a massive Friday sell-off and you could just see too. And, and, and I wanted to add to one thing that you guys were saying this before about, it's pretty much consumer discretionary is one of the worst sectors of this year, right? So if you think, you know, like how is it going to look for travel in summer and all these things, it's going to be tough times. So how much
1: do you think is this hedge funds playing with retail on that, right? Because I think maybe a lot of retail doesn't know the reaction. They see green, they know that a Fed meeting is happening, right? But they don't really know much about it. This is me like two years ago, right? And probably still today. But you know, in terms of you see Bill Ackman coming out and saying he wanted 75 bips, you see other people saying that, and then it goes green, and maybe some retailers are coming out. Do you think Part of this is the funds realizing that retail may, you know, a quick way
3: to make some bucks for them or like what causes that, that fake out, I guess, more so. I mean, I think you just got to look at the size of the, the players in this, this game right now, right? Like, it's not just like some little news thing that we can trade off of. It's like the entire underpinnings of the U.S. economy, thus the global economy. So it's much more of a big deal. And there's like huge money being moved around in that play. Like, And we'll talk about this later at the end of the episode, like all the stuff that's happening in crypto. I mean, like everything that is, that was not going to withstand a bear market is not withstanding this bear market. Like you've got Celsius, BlockFi, Luna already, Three Arrows, which is like, was one of the biggest funds in crypto, if not the biggest, but you just got people blowing up left and right and contagion everywhere. And like, it's kind of similar to stocks, right? You get enough people getting liquidated enough, like positions in all these, like, you know, these mutual funds, these other just. People holding stocks or in places all over, right? People are selling and people are scared and, and everyone needs liquidity. So it's one of those situations where it all just comes together, right? That the money that was given out and flooded through the system is getting reeled back in. We were talking about
1: doom and gloom last week and we're back here at doom and gloom. QT started. What is QT, Tony?
3: Why does this matter? So Fed's been talking about this for a while. I mean, like they started talking about all these things like in November, but they didn't start doing anything until it got too bad and too far down the road. And they've just been kicking the can for a while. But on Wednesday they started reducing the assets that they hold on their balance sheet. But like people are having, there's two different things that one may, one might be happening and one is definitely going to happen. It's like the first one is the passive tightening. So they're just going to let things on the balance sheet roll off at their maturities. So it's not like they're selling them into the active market necessarily It's just rolling off on their maturities instead of just continuing to just keep the pump going at what they have. And then in September, supposedly, or maybe before now, I don't know, they changed it. It, it, It's changing every day. So there's the other case where you can do active quantitative tightening, which is where you're actively just like sell, 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 like dumping stuff. But you're doing that like through private markets, but it just floods the system regardless. They're dealing with rates first and then they're doing it act or passive tightening right now versus the active tightening the active tightening is just like man we're really gonna like try to bring inflation down so it it could happen i mean like it's it's very possible and it's probably likely that if things continue to get out of hand they will start actively tightening so we'll see but that's just like adding a lot more of that what's on their balance sheet liquidity into the markets. so that's not going to be good because like bonds are already crushed all around so
1: so then we'll be uh, officially in a uh, recession, right, Joey?
2: What is, what is a well, recession? So- I, I feel like we're in one right now, basically. Well, yeah. So, like to add what Tony was saying, so, you know, as they're doing this balance sheet reduction, you know, th- the easy way is like the securities are dissipating. So they're, the reserves are building up on the Fed. And when that happens, it's basically taking that liquidity out of the market. So that's where you see it like start to dry up. Now there's what, $8.9 trillion out there. So it's like, they could try to go as fast as they want, but this is so much that it's going to take them a very long time. And this is where Tony was exactly right when he's saying, you know, they waited far too long to do this, that if they want to try to do this quickly, it's going to make that whole soft landing that they want to go for impossible. And Imagine
3: they just start selling off like like hundreds of billions in treasuries
2: super actively, like in the... Could you, I well, mean, have, have you seen the movie Margin Call where yeah. the one firm tries to unload everything in like a day or two? Like essentially if the Fed tried to do something that fast, like that large, they would almost crash the system. So they can't do that. They know better. They don't want to put us into some, you know, horrible depression, which that would cause. Now, yeah, where you were talking about a recession. Now, a technical term for recession is just two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. So basically all industries will see reductions across the board, you'll see unemployment on the rise. And it's just not an ideal scenario for any part of the economy. Now, I feel like we've been in one of those for a couple months now, because not only you're seeing inflation across the board terrible, That that's not necessarily indicative of recession. Now, recession helps you come out of that. But what's really caught my eye is all these layoffs. And I know unemployment's been ticking down but I feel like with how many layoffs we've been seeing and how many companies are sending out these emails of hiring freezes, if they're not even doing layoffs, that I feel like the the negatives are outweighing the positives when it comes to unemployment now. So maybe when we start to see that tick up, then people are going to open their eyes like maybe this whole idea of a soft landing and a recession not happening until 2023 is off and maybe we're already in one. And that's where the funny thing about recession is, you know, the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, you don't know you're in a recession until you hit that six month where, you know, it's the confirmed like, hey, yeah, there's the second consecutive quarter right there. So, you know, I've had the feeling for a while now, I remember me and you, Avi, like back in February, maybe talking about this. I was like, man, it it sure feels weird out there. You know, this could be the start of one. We just don't know it yet. So we kind of got spoiled with the recession in COVID. Because, you know, it was almost like that Band-Aid rip that, you know, it it was over and done with so quickly that I feel like that's why this is so much more painful. It's like that whole death by a thousand cuts. You know, we've had these haircuts every single day and you'll have a couple up days where you start to get optimistic. But then, you know, we've seen the charts where, you know, you trend down over the course of a year and you get, you know, 5% pop, 10% pop, 15% pop that I really hope the Fed does know what they're doing. But I mean, at this point, I don't think anybody has any confidence in the Fed. So, you know, we're just along for the ride at this point. Major layoffs with Coinbase, Redfin, Compass, a lot of crypto in general, real estate. Crypto and real estate. And, And that's the thing, like real estate has held up so well where, you know, real estate prices have held up, but, you know, with rates the way they're going, and mortgage rates where they're at you know I saw mortgage demand's fall by 50% and we're going to talk about real estate later but I feel like they've really cooled the housing market and you know used cars haven't been going as crazy as they were before I feel like you you're seeing that cooling across the board another indication of a impending recession if you start seeing all those turn negative but yeah it's just it's a really weird feel out there across so many industries that yeah real estate the way that these companies are acting it it definitely doesn't look good especially if you're working in that space. Is this the potential start to more layoffs? Because the sectors
1: have been just getting beaten down across the board. And we have this chart here, which of course we'll have to post here later. But Tony, visualize the best you can here in terms of the breakdown of of how really bad it's been for the S&P thus far this year.
3: Yeah, the S&P, right? Like it held up all the way into the end of 21. And uh, the second it started in, in January 2022, like literally the first day, that's when the the top of that market was. And so, like this chart here, you've got the worst performance throughout the first 115 trading days for the S and P. And so, like the the first place is in 1932 with negative 36% to start, and rank two is negative 24 in rank three, and that was in 1962. And then rank three is this year, and it's negative 23. So if the market's down another percent on one day, it's like the second start. Or the second worst start to the year of all time for the S and P, and what's crazy is like we were breaking it down just talking to Riley earlier, looking at the different sectors. And so, like we, I think we have talked about this on the pod before, but just going through what's the makeup of the S and P five hundred, right? Because you can see the Nasdaq is really the one that I'm, you know, you're watching that one even more just because you know that that's way more heavy tech weighted. So the impacts of what the economy's doing right now is really affecting tech the most. So you'll probably see it. That that's where you'll start seeing signs of any improvement right there and then the credit markets. So you can see like the S&P is made up of IT, that's 28%. Healthcare is 13. Consumer discretionary, 11. And that's like having an awful year, right? And that includes a lot of those big brand names that you're talking about that people use for whatever they're going to do during the summer. Clothes, Amazon, all these things. So financial is 11.5%. And those are not doing that bad at all. Just considering that we're starting to raise rates again and everything. Communication services, 9%. Industrials, 8 Stables for consumers, 6%. Energy is about 4%. Real estate's 26 Utilities, 26 Materials, 26 Right? So you've got everything in the S&P down, right? And, and it scales all the way down to tech. And tech's down the worst. And then you go and you see like what's up. The only thing that's like really crushing is XLE. And that's like the S&P 500 energy spider ETF, and then that's up like 41% of the year or something. So you see like the big differences where tech's weighing it down, but even though it's only 4%, like there's other sectors that are closely related, that are not getting crushed as much at all, and also financials. So tech's just weighing it down, but the S&P is only down like 24%, I think, from its highs. You get the Nasdaq now, which is down nearly thirty-five percent, and that's fifty-one percent tech, consumer services sixteen percent, consumer goods eight percent, healthcare seven percent, right? And, and all these are meant to be more like tech-oriented anyway. So that one's getting crushed fifty percent worse than S and P is.
1: Tony, it feels like two years ago, and it probably was actually maybe a year ago now that we've created the Bible and. Both you and I had some time to really think about the Bible and the nature of creating the Bible I thought was, in hindsight, probably a horrible idea given how much markets change constantly, right? And so we kind of locked ourselves in and we looked great for the first year. And reality is we constantly were pivoting, constantly changing with the markets. So we want to start off with digging into some of the software companies. Today, we'll be walking through Cloudflare and CrowdStrike. We will be saving Datadog and Twilio for next week. But we're going to start off here with Cloudflare. We first discussed it on the podcast at 4251. By the time we published the Bible, it was at 8350, so an increase of 96.4%. Now we are taking a look at it, and it's kind of right where we uh, initially spoke about it. It's at 3970 at the close here today. So, Tony, talk us through like the initial thinking about putting that into the Bible, and then what we'll do is have Joey, his thoughts, and say maybe what we may have missed, or obviously things have then changed quite a bit since the past few years since we wrote this.
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean here, I think it was it's only been like a little over a year, but the whole thing is that we've discussed so many times on the podcast, so many different things, so many times was different move strategies and themes and, and things that were going well and things that were not going well in markets. But you're right. Like, I, I wish you could just go in and add comments underneath it, right? And say like, oh, February... There will be a crash that puts hair on your chest and makes you never want to click a button again. Or November Fed is doing weird things. It's coming out and super strong. So like all those names that are, as as we've been saying on pods and stuff, right? Like they're going for the only the companies that are right free cash flow positive, have cash and are well profitable, fundamentally sound, which in you know in everyday normal markets, sure growth names don't go hundreds of percent, but also it's like they're they're allowed to grow, right? They're allowed to advances, normal companies get normal funding. And it, it's a normal, more normal environment than this ridiculous environment right now. But like the good thing about markets being in the position that they are is that it's like really the time we need to see what a company is made of and what it should be worth. And so like I was just talking with Joey earlier, is like if you buy, for example, half the things that are down the least in arc versus all the things that are down the most, like that would outperform the hell out of it just because you can see that this is where relative strength comes in and is like really important. So just looking at some of the software we discussed, right, like Crowd, down 46%, I believe, from its peak. But Amazon is down, like, I think around 40%. Google, same, Apple, Microsoft, right? They're all similarly down 30 to 40% as the NASDAQ's down 35%. There was this entire, you know, CDN content delivery network kind of like war that was going on when we were starting the podcast out. Fastly. Yeah, it was Fastly versus Net pretty much. And I mean, I think it's, very clear that one was the winner of that but just looking at net like the reason that just grasped me so strongly like the first time i really started digging into it was i think like a bunch of parts of the internet went down for a day and then net was exploding that exact day i was like what How is that connected and then i started looking into net more and i realized you know that they are pretty much like the picks and shovels for like 40 percent of global internet traffic and then 20 to 25 percent in north america and so it's like that's definitely important for it to go down and it, the price of it go up means it's very important as a company. Right. And so like you looked at it, you looked at its growth and like where it was going. And 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 I thought that, you know, it could go higher, but I already was starting to say it's looking to be overvalued. It started getting to 80 and 90. And then, it, you know, it went over a hundred. By that point, I had been like, this is overvalued. I don't really want to keep a big, if at all, position here. And then somehow rages to 200, right? And it's trading at like 80 times sales, at which point I was like posting charts on Twitter saying literally from like 200. And then there's like a VWAP at like 130. And it's like, where do you think this one's going? And it went to that VWAP and then the next VWAP. But at the same time, like I was saying just a few minutes ago, it's where you can look at a company that two years ago is at the same price that it is today. And You know that was most of the companies that we'll be talking about are like that those are the same prices they were before and and so much has happened underneath the company both fundamentally and just like in their entire conquest for success and so like you look at something like net which got crushed obviously because it was at 70 80 times sales and you look at its like future potential and i i still think that there's like a lot of positives about it versus a lot of other names that you see in the market so you know, it's it's sitting at like a $13 billion valuation, about 40 bucks a share, doing 958 million revenue estimated for this full year, and then 1.3 billion for next year. And EBITDA is like looking nice at 106 for this year, 160 for next year. EPS is starting to get positive, right? So it's like that inflection point of when a company that you know is first of all software, which is like one of the best things that's holding up in this entire market like the majority of those big growth names that crushed it since the covid bottom that are holding up well still are in the software category. And so you can notice that consistently when the market's even like a little bit good, software is stronger than most other things. So knowing that a company on its like climax of changing from unprofitable to profitable, like that's a big change in the company and it gets it looked at differently and valued differently. So knowing that it's still growing revenues at over 40 46% for this year, 36 for next year right? That company's still got a long way to go. And it's a software company, right? It always historically will command a higher multiple, especially if it's profitable and growing well.
1: I got to give a quick shout out to Chris Peruna. I was just searching Twitter real quick for any news on net. He sold at 197.36. He said, ugly candle on net. I've sold out the remaining half. We're going to settle back in. Yeah. Down. He missed almost
2: an 80% drawdown. So Chris Peruna, Nice work on that one. Tony kind of explained, you know, he was he was vocal on this on Twitter. I think where you guys may have had a stumble is almost like, you know, the, the Bible was written almost as like a playbook. But I think people took it as like, hey, this is set in stone portfolio that we won't be adjusting and, and something like that. So. It Which is not the nature of the show or me in the slightest. So no, and and I think that's a big thing, you know, before I even came on this season and I was talking to you guys a lot over the last few years, like a lot of people took a stock and, you know, pinned your name next to it. It's like, well, you know, Tony trades a lot. So just because he talked about a company on a Monday, you know, he might be out on a Wednesday. This isn't like buy and forget type scenario. So I think what went wrong was not explaining the style you're going for. And that, hey, if we're buying this stock because we think it could have a certain type of return profile, if that return is reached within like a year or two, when you think this is more like 10 years down the road, yeah, of course, there's gonna be portfolio management associated with that. We had a Google Doc Bible. she's right,
3: Tony, I see the comments. We're (laughs) like, like for people who miss everything that's said in every podcast or tweet and just like tag it under. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and so like I come back to Cloudflare. I think I originally bought the stock years ago. It was like in the 32 range. And I see all the progress they've made since then. And now I'm getting the opportunity to buy more of it at at what, 10, 20% more than it was back then. And what's what's beautiful about Cloudflare, and I think if you want to get a, a nice feel for the company, go to cloudflarestatus.com and it gives you a list of like all their different networks and, and how it's operating right now. And it's incredible the infrastructure that they've built around the world. Then you think, you know, I, I've had my Amazon app get slow loading once and it turns out, hey, there's like a Cloudflare outage at their Atlanta facility or something like that. And You realize just how crucial Cloudflare is to all of our Internet infrastructure in the United States, let alone around the world. Then you kind of like dig into the investor presentation. Not only did they IPO, you know, with a great product suite that was known for like, yeah, the CDN, DDoS, but they've constantly innovated to expand their TAM, their total addressable market, you know, launching Cloudflare One. And they have all these plans in place. If you go through their investor presentation to show you that they're not just skating by on what they've built, they're going to continue to offer more and more to people because they know. They have this platform that they can constantly expand and offer more to people and their customers. Then you see they have something like 124,000 active clients, probably more than that now. I'm just looking at this presentation I was able to pull up. And you see like, you know, you don't get that many clients by having a shoddy product. You get that because you become world renowned and you have something special. Then you go through the financials and yes, they, they're still growing very quickly great growth on the horizon and you know the the one knock against them I think is you know getting to the point where they're free cash flow positive and you know generating that the positive cash flow that people are looking for. I think that's like the one thing that's really kept it kept it from being one of those gold standard plays which we're going to talk about next is kind of like the poster child of the you know the the gold standard type investment style, which is a crowdstrike. Ah uh, yes, crowdstrike. It is my first real baby I was very proud of at 60.
1: You got it way earlier, Joey. CrowdStrike obviously is the leader in our mind here of cybersecurity, which is a space I think in general we've talked about multiple times where that trend is going to continue as more and more things come online, of course, and internet of things starts to take over. So Tony, let's just dive in a little bit here too in terms of what you liked about it. Obviously the sector as a whole, but you know, was there anything that stood out to you initially uh,
3: to why you wanted to put this one in the Bible? Well, I mean, I think it's like similar reasons to net. Like you just see that a, first of all, software does really well, especially in these trying times, right? Like the reason I want to talk about it first and foremost within the Bible and all the other names we discussed is just because it is one of those high margin free cash flow, profitable earnings companies that is continuing to grow at a good pace and making it, Most things in software that are really good and high quality and will probably continue to be great, high quality, larger businesses in the future are the ones that are holding up better now because they're already that good of companies despite running. If Crowd wanted to nuke, it could have nuked a long time ago, even worse. Like, could it continue to nuke with the market? Sure. But relative to other software names, like I just, the way that it acts is bullish versus other software names.
1: Founder led, obviously, George Kurtz started it. He was the CTO of McAfee. And that was ingrained in his blood. I remember like thinking about that as a reason why I loved it again. Just the space in general is a no-brainer for me that cybersecurity is going to take control so the addressable market's gonna consistently grow, right? And just overall, I think they're moving into new places too. I know Internet of Things is an area that they're gonna start to continue to grow in and that market's just getting started in my opinion. Joe, I'll let you get into it. In this case, I think we all kind of agree we still
2: love this. So I don't know if this is a situation of of what we may have missed. When I was going through, you know, the original investment thesis, CrowdStrike, it was seen as, hey, this is going to be the gold standard in cybersecurity over the long term. You know, everybody kind of would look at Palo Alto Networks as as that stock for a long time. I think CrowdStrike has proven just how incredible its platform is. I I think since its IPO, when it really first got in the spotlight, and man, have they delivered financially? Like it's just incredible the growth they've achieved. You know, the free cash flow is is a beautiful thing to see. And then you see, you know, when a lot of companies might be experiencing a slowdown, you see on the last earnings call. I saw one of the quotes I love from George Kurz, the CEO, was, you know, the demand environment we see is more robust today than this time last year, as cybersecurity is not discretionary. Showing that, you know, one way to think about it is, you know, say we go into a recession and businesses have to start cutting back. They're not going to cut back on cybersecurity because that would just make them vulnerable to to far too much and could literally ruin a business if they get hacked in a way that, you know, they steals customer data, personal data, anything like that. So this is a space that even like the Russian conflict over there has really surfaced and it made it more clear to people than ever that cybersecurity is not something that any company can really skimp on and you have to be ready for everything. And when it comes to stopping data breaches of all sorts, like CrowdStrike is that gold standard. So I feel like this is one of those names that I would be looking to build my position in the problem is I think it's been my stock that's held up the best. Are, right. CrowdStrike has actually grown into being one of my largest positions because it's held up so well during this downturn and I think that you can basically have that correlate directly to the fact that it's such in demand as well as having such a strong growth profile with that cash flow.
3: God.
1: Um, All right. So we're going to continue this next week. We'll be talking about Datadog and Twilio. But before we wrap things up, I know Joey, you were talking about housing markets a little bit earlier in the episode. And I definitely want to touch on that because I'm sitting here in New York and I would love to get out of my apartment, but I'm looking at housing prices and they're still insane. But everyone on Twitter is kind of talking about this you know, pending crash of real estate. So I'd love your take. Do you think that's going to come? If so,
2: when? So I don't think there's a real estate crash. I think people reference back to the last horrible recession, you know, the Great Recession, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But that was like a systemic issue when it came to the housing market and financial institutions, basically letting people get over levered with their real estate positions, having one person own like five houses at one time, paying no interest on any of them. Like that, it was just a different world back then. I think we're in a much different scenario now where, you know, housing supply wasn't meeting demand for so long. Then you pair inflation. I remember like lumber prices were uh, the poster child of inflation for a while to, you know, the cost of building a house became so much more expensive. And then land prices got more expensive that I don't think that this, you know, this drastic correction in real estate prices will be coming. If anything, I think, our current houses kind of need to grow into their valuations, trade sideways for a little bit. Because then I see, okay, if acquiring a home or purchasing a home is more unaffordable now than ever before when you look at like the median income as opposed to the median cost of a uh, cost of a house. And then mortgage rates, which we have a quote from Bankrate that reads, ahead of the conclusion of the Fed meeting on Wednesday, bank rates average 30-year fixed mortgage APR landed just shy of 6% at 5.99%. However, advertised loan offers surpass 6% even for well-qualified borrowers. I mean, I refinanced during COVID. I think I was at 2.875 on a 30. So now you're talking that's more than double in a very short period of time that it's just costing people so much more to own a home now than ever before that I think you're going to see more demand on the rental side of things. Which it's still gonna be the same single family homes, multifamily residences. It's just they're gonna be generating cash flow for a different person. Like, you know, the original landlord. It could be these builders, whatever it's gonna be. So I think there's still such a demand in housing that they're all going to be filled. It's not going to be like vacant houses all over the place getting foreclosed on, but it's just a different world out there. Yeah, I think people are looking at it as if you know we need this huge crash, but I don't think that's the case. These episodes are starting to get tough in the markets in general, because I'm typically
1: such an optimistic person and we've been pretty doom and gloom, but the optimism in me is telling you, Tony, fortunately for us, we are still relatively young. Even- if I was 70, in my mind, I'd feel young. But the reality is, you know, we still have many years to provide
2: income. All right. So as we as we wrap this podcast up, you know, we always talk about, you know, these are very difficult times, but it's always a situation. And I, I've talked about this with Q4 2018 before. You know, when you zoom out far enough, it is the smallest little blip on the chart of like the S&P 500 all time. Now, hopefully it's not, you know more pain for for far too long when it comes to the current downturn but you know it it could be extended but you know when we're thinking a hey, 10 years from now you know we'll be looking back on this and laughing i think you know finding something to enjoy you know i always tell people enjoy the ride as difficult and bumpy as it might be in the stock market you know you just got to stay invested you know dollar cost average keep getting some cash in the market and you'll find focusing quality companies and and just keeping at it is always the best strategy. And, you know, referencing back to, you know, Warren Buffett, buy when there's blood in the streets. I mean, I don't think there could be any more blood in the streets than there is right now. And of course, now that I say it, I'll probably look at the futures. Wait, as soon as you read it, man, I'm just like, yeah, are we down at a hundred on futures right now? Go. And, and so, yeah, I kind of want to check it right now. But I mean, I'd always reference back to that, you know, every pullback in stock market history has been a buying opportunity.
3: Like, as you said, it could continue longer and it likely maybe could continue longer. And I think it will <laughs> be more severe. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like when it comes to times like these, like unless there's an actual piece of news, it's going to make everything all like nice and butterflies, which is just like maybe the fact that China had contact with aliens supposedly could do it, but no, there's so many different moving parts that need to happen. And as we said, the sell-off continues to go between different sectors and asset classes. So. There's still a lot down the line. Like we talked about housing, you ran commodities and everything that can that can happen. So, like, while also, yes, like you're looking at a long term horizon, the current situation could continue lower. And, like, when it's so aggressive in the selling or the buying, you know, the biggest things to look at for me are, once again, those volume shelves and those huge horizontal levels. Like, it's retracing back to a certain amount, right? Like, our retrace back to where it was during COVID and lower. And it's been holding in that range, despite the S&P selling off even more. Like, does that mean it's gonna crack on Monday more than the S&P? Maybe, but different things are selling off and different things are not being sold off as much. And so continue just looking out for that kind of stuff. But I still think that it's possible we could go hit one of those big volume shelves lower that hasn't happened yet. So Arc and all the growth names and anything tech really kind of related, started selling off besides like the S&P and the NASDAQ into the end of the year, really. And then January started, And you've got S&P and the NASDAQ really starting to tank with everything. So it's this time, kind of different times for different things selling off. And so it'll, it'll keep moving, but for the S&P at least, and for the NASDAQ, right? Like we talked about that at the beginning, really focus on where the NASDAQ's at, because that's where you can really see a lot of the pain being down 35%. There's some big key levels down lower for the S&P specifically. Like you've got to look at that 3,400 breakout area that we were at right before the pandemic crash began. And then that was like this hard area that we had to get over to start this extended rally. So there's a ton of volume in that area. And then you get lower to like, you know, 3,200 was a huge level. We've talked about that on the pod so many times, 3,200, like early days, I remember, and then you've got S and P 3000, 2950 area, and it goes to 28. And, you know, it, so like there are levels lower and it'll just be whichever volume shelf holds it or catches it while we wait for the news or if it turns because the news gets so bad that bad news becomes now i'm in good news and that's that's the two ways it'll be so i love the uh level dichotomy between the two of you by the way it's, it's
1: it's so fun when trader tony comes out one thing that i've kept thinking in the back of my mind is maybe there is a run-up into midterms and i know tony and you and i've gone back and forth if midterms matter you say they don't i think they do and it's more of like when and if that happens. Do you think if the Fed comes out in July, let's say, and, and comes back to 50 BIPs, which is now they've kind of came from 75, left it open from 50 to 75, they come in at 50. Is that the run up to
3: midterms catalyst that we would need, you think? I don't think that that's necessarily going to go either way. Like, I think that it'll be it really will be data dependent like it'll be based on cpi if cpi is already lowered and the fed gets still too aggressive cpi is going to be high i think i mean right but i'm saying like what by for the july meeting are we doing 75 or 50. i mean i don't know man they they said they could do either but do i think the market's going to love either i don't think it's going to be based on that necessarily because Right. Like you do not enough. You do 0.5, and the data is horrible. Then you're like, oh, Fed's not doing enough to kicking it down the road. So then you do too much. And it's like, oh, Fed's hiking so fast, it's breaking the system. So so like I don't I don't see it being one of those maybe because I said that. Well, it's there's
1: a, a pause for midterms high. is my thinking it is, is they, they kind of bring it back. Let it let us run up so Biden can say, hey, the economy is coming back up. You know that that's my you know tin hat version. Sure, I'd love to, Joey's thought. Yeah,
3: yeah. I would like to also because I think we'll be so deep in like data and the Fed and then the passive tightening and and everything going on with oil and commodities, Russia, inflation. All of it's just going to be continuing to hit a thousand miles an hour. And so I think it'll be once again just like data dependent. I, I don't think the midterms. It's not that I, just, I, I don't think midterms matter. It's that I don't think that that's like the main pressing matter right now that people are considering because like I go off the Maslow needs, like if you can't feed your kids, you don't care who you're voting for.
2: Yeah, so I would chime in with a fun stat that I heard on CNBC and I just had to confirm by Googling it was that the 12 month period after midterms since the 60s has never produced negative returns. So I just pulled up this chart and It's coming from US Bank. And I'm looking, and yeah, from 1962 all the way to 2018, midterm returns, 12 month period, the average is 16.3%. So, I mean, I, politics is I find, a let's, let's go. go. Okay. I want to find <laughs> something positive in this market that, yeah, politics might not directly impact the stock market, or it might not get in between you two when we're talking about this. <laughs> but just showing, like, hey, since 1962, US bank data shows right here we've never had negative performance. The latest one, Donald Trump 2018, 12% return in the 12 month period from around November 1st to October 31st on the S&P 500. So I would love something like that. And if we're talking about if we're gonna get a positive return, in all those scenarios, I don't think there is anything as drastic of a downturn like this going into one. So hey, maybe that's where we get a very significant bounce. And all we need is some midterms to spark it. All you need is the obvious indicator. All you need is midterms
3: <laughs> going conservative. You need a conservative win.
2: Or Elon won. Musk needs to start pushing Ron DeSantis more. Ron DeSantis, oh my God. Right? He's on that Elon, Elon. Super Yeah, he's a DeSantis fan.
1: And there was, uh, down in Texas, uh, an area that had not won since like the 1800s turned red. And obviously that's not. Indicative of the rest of the nation, but I feel like people are are saying on Twitter, and maybe that's the people I follow, is a full red wave. But even even people on, should we not get into this, Tony? No, I, mean, I know. I'm just
3: <laughs> saying I could, I could see I could see you being right now. I'm just like really like, uh, yeah, like because if, if right now everyone is just hating the Dems because the Dems are in office while
2: this is happening, and also well, the Republicans will come think, in office, then everyone will hate the Republicans. It's it's been going on forever. Well, yeah. So I mean, I I would. I never take political sides. I voted on both sides because, you know, I voted I'm, Yang. I'm out there. <laughs> I mean, I go with what well, I think makes the best argument with certain things. So like, but then I go back, you know, the stock market was very good under Barack Obama, very good under Donald Trump. It's like, I don't think it's party specific when it comes to stock market returns, but I think it's like a distrust or like lack of confidence in a specific administration. Yeah. And I definitely feel, plays directly into everything else, even though, yeah, a certain administration shouldn't impact the Fed. I just think it, it almost like casts a doubt on all things administration. Yeah, Joe, you're, you're hundred
3: percent right there. Like Trump was one of the presidents who impacted the Fed and it's very, very clear that that was the thing. And like looking now it's like, you're seeing that one, one thing I tweeted was just, why don't we flood reserves? Why don't we like talk to OPEC? We hooked up Mexico in the COVID next OPEC issues. And now like we could just rally the troops and then literally flood the markets and, and make try to abate the issue at least a little bit, do something there. Now they're only talking about it now. And like oil was over a hundred in January, right? So I could see the frustration. And I was reading this really interesting study talking about how so many people who were Democrats switched right before they were voting for the twenty sixteen election because of Obamacare premium spikings just so drastically, right? So there, there are things that happen in administration that do impact politics, which then change the politics because different politics are brought in. And I, I could see it being the case where you guys are right in the fact that if everyone associates the current administration to the the party ideology, which like you're seeing a big narrative of that essentially, like in in all these things. Yes, like uh, I, I think a red sweep would do well for the markets, better than right now. All right, boys, it's getting late, so let's wrap this thing up. But I'm really excited to start digging into
1: the Bible a little bit more. I think it was amazingly intense to write that thing for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, for a while we were glamorous with it. And in hindsight, we wish we never did it because, as we've mentioned multiple times, things constantly change. So you always have to be fluid with the markets.
3: So much has happened just recently. We had the 75 BIPs increase, we've got CPI data, all these different things happening. It's definitely a wait and see situation. Like I said, like there are levels lower and there are levels higher, got like 3,400 on the S and P just seems like if it copies all of what Arc did and and other ETFs and most stocks, you could see that the retrace it's possible. So 3,400 is like a very strong first level to look for. Maybe, you know, it changes next week with news, but just based on volume shelves. That's really the next big one. With that being said, like you're gonna continue to get news coming out every single week and uh, we'll be here to cover it guys. So be back next week. My
0: money don't jiggle, jiggle, it falls. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle for sure. It makes me want to dribble, dribble. You know, riding in my fear. You really have to see it. Six feet, two in a compact, no slack. But luckily the seats go back. I got a knack to relax in my mind. Sipping some red, red wine. Shepherd's Bush, my compact push Notting Hill gate, my Fiat Skate, with a crate of Cabernet But not today, because I gotta drive, I wanna stay alive Not cause it's illicit, do I have to get explicit? As a matter of fact, I sip on the Yak With Big and Reese, 200 diamonds in their piece I'm trying to get mine, so I can shine Jiggle jiggle I'd like to see you wiggle wiggle Jiggle jiggle i like to see you wiggle wiggle My money don't jiggle jiggle Folds. I like to see you wiggle wiggle for sure. It makes me want to dribble dribble. You know, riding in my fear. You really have to see it. Six feet, two in a compact. No slack. But luckily the seats go back. I got a knack to relax in my mind. sipping some red, red wine. I think that went really well, don't you? I enjoyed it. Nice being in the booth. So, unless you have anything else, that's a wrap. Jiggle, jiggle. I like